Rural hospitals are often misunderstood in the process of building partnerships with other healthcare organizations, potentially leading to major strategic missteps and missed opportunities. So, how do rural hospitals demonstrate their value to current and future partners? With probing conversations, analysis of rural advantages, and confidence in the value that they bring to the table. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 66 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So, Rachel, we have talked before about healthcare partnerships, um, how they're critical uh, to rural hospitals. But these partnerships are also beneficial to the organizations that we are joining forces with. You know, mm-hmm. we can give examples of joining a GPO or joining an organization like we have to get Epic here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we join them, you know, they get a benefit from it as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But today, uh, we're going to get into the value rural hospitals can bring um, to their partners and those partner organizations and how to use that value to leverage more relationships with increased returns. That's right. We are talking with someone who is an expert in this field and has even published a fantastic article on the matter. You know what? And the gentleman that we're going to be speaking with today has been a friend to Hillsdale Hospital for many, many years Mm -hmm. and someone I got to know uh, and and was very close to uh, during some very important times here at Hillsdale Hospital. In fact, uh, his work uh, single-handedly brought us through some very difficult financial times here at the hospital. And and the the guy you're going to meet today is a good friend of Hillsdale Hospital and of mine, and our guest is Eric Schell. He's chairman of Stroudwater Associates Board of Directors, and he's a leader of Stroudwater's rural practice. So welcome to Rural Health Rising, Eric. Thanks, JJ and Rachel. Appreciate you having me on the show. So to start, Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at Stroudwater? Sure. Thank you. Uh, so, so my background is is I'm an Arthur Anderson trained uh, CPA out of out of Western New York, um, upstate Western New York, and um, um, uh, moved to, to Stroudwater 25 years ago. And uh, um, Within a couple of years of, of, of being there, I visited my first, at the time, critical access hospital and, um, um, you know, helped that organization get turned around in about six months. And at that point, it was, um, um, you know, just, just something I knew I wanted to do. It was kind of a giving back to the rural community there I was from in western New York. So a lot of the work that we do in Stroudwater Associates is, is working with rural hospitals, rural communities, around improving the, the performance, operational, clinical, financial of rural hospitals to thus, thus you know, bolster their rural communities. Uh, something similar to uh, what, what, what we did for Hillsdale several years back. So now that we've established who you are and what you do, Eric, let's start with the why. And we do this on every episode so we get to know our guests just a little bit better. So what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of the bed in the morning to do what you do? It's uh, funny that you say that, JJ, or ask that question. Um, several years ago, you know, I came across the book Start With Why by Simon Sinek and um, read the book a couple times and, and took some time to figure out what my true why was. And, and um, you know, ultimately, coming from a small town in, in upstate western New York, um, it kind of bled right into what I do. And it's, it's a fight for the underdog that don't ever tell me a rural hospital can't be successful because those are fighting words. And, and we're going to do everything we can to help a rural hospital be 
not only successful, but be, you know, thrive. And so that's why I get up in the morning. And, and you'll find out, Rachel, Eric's passion is real. And uh, he, you know, he came to Hillsdale with uh, really a purpose that we had in mind, which shifted. I mean, what we had in mind and what he actually does, uh, two different things, you know, and uh, he came right in. He challenged us. I mean, he looked right at Duke and I and said, no, 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 that's wrong. Absolutely. Why aren't you, why aren't you participating in 340B? What, what, what's your deal? I mean, he was very, he, he, he made us ask the questions of mm-hmm. why, mm-hmm. you know, why aren't we doing that? That doesn't, you know, we should be getting more pickups. So, you know, I can tell you his passion is absolutely, and you'll, you'll hear it and see it today. It's second to none. Well, I can feel it. I got chills when you said fighting for the underdog, because I've, I've used that same terminology before in my career and the types of organizations I've worked for, because it really is, it's really powerful. And then you said, you know, those are fighting words. And I was like, wow, okay, this guy's amazing. He is. Yes. (laughs) And you'll hear that throughout the interview today. So Eric, you know, I I want to go ahead, go ahead. Comment is one of my recollections from, I don't know, six years ago, seven years ago in Hillsdale was that what struck me is that, that what you all were with a little engine that couldn't at the time. That's right. And you became the little engine who could. And yeah. and through that, you have truly transformed that organization and and created something that I'd almost like to say the town is in the in the city of Hillsdale is following in suit with what you've been able to do as the hospital. And so, you know, essentially a rural hospital is an important bedrock of a thriving rural community. And, and and you went from this little engine that couldn't to the little engine that could. And it just appears that the town is following in your footsteps. And and, and so incredible to see. And none of that would have been possible without, and I truly say this, and, and we're being, you know, it's 100% uh, here, is that, you know, your participation in getting us to see the vision and uh, building the roadmap for us. And we've used that roadmap. In fact, uh, we have follow-up calls uh, with Eric's team uh, regularly, and we're mm-hmm. talking about things when we get into a situation where we're like, nah, that doesn't seem right. Get a hold of Eric. And Eric's been back. He's participated in some of our strategic planning processes because we value him so much. But you know, Eric, one of the things that I, I want to do today is I want to jump right into a big topic. You know, why not, right? Let's just jump into it. So we're seeing large healthcare organizations steer away and I can give you example after example here in Hillsdale from rural hospitals as partners. Instead, they're using the words of M&As. They want to acquire us. Even though rural hospitals have a lot to offer that other party, and you know this more than anyone, and that's why I want your perspective today. So what is the reason, do you feel, that these entities tend to go for acquisition instead of a partnership? That's a, that's a really great question, JJ. Um, I I. Th- think the command and control um, of the, it's still, it, it, I, I see it as like almost a remnant of the command and control of the 80s, right? Mm. You know, top-down leadership, you, you know, yep. um, <laughs> I say jump and you say how high, not understanding yep. that the real value, I look at, I always fall back on Stephen Covey and these models of dependency where he talks about dependent, your five-year-old, independent, your 18-year-old interdependent, your 26-year-old. And I would like to think that two organizations with a common purpose that are independent can come together to seek that that interdependency that becomes a true partnership rather than this command and control. Because so often those command and controls just don't go anywhere. They don't create the mutual value for both organizations. 
I think one of the things that you brought to our attention was this whole, you know, you, you go into hospitals all the time and some of them are desperate enough where they, they want to sell and they need to sell. Uh, but you, you say, no, there's a strategy here. And I think, I think that hope that you gave us was so important. And we, we, we had Scott Becker on the program not too long ago. And Scott talked about how nearly 140 hospitals in America have closed since 2010. And you see the reality of that, correct, Eric? Every, every month, every year. I, I, absolutely. And the common theme is that, you know, these big brokers who want to sell hospitals, you know, they're making some pretty fat cash, Eric. We can call it what it is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the problem is the community suffers because you and I know quite well that the rural hospitals in rural communities are either the second, third, sometimes even the largest employer and economic engine. Yeah. So yeah. so can you talk to us a little bit about that relationship, you know, in terms of, you know, that whole merger acquisition? But, you know, what advice would you give the rural hospital CEO who's sitting out there going, I don't I've got 100 days cash on hand. I have no other option. Are there other options? Yeah, yeah there's there's lots. And, and, and my colleague, Jeff, who you'll you'll speak with soon, has a whole analysis of how to think about this. But um, I, I, you know, several years ago, I was working with a, 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 a critical access hospital to form of a rural hospital that gets cost based reimbursement. And, and they were losing at the time three million dollars. And I remember going into a strategic planning retreat with this hospital and and the board members are hammering me saying, what's our affiliation strategy? What's our affiliation? We have to merge. And I said, your affiliation strategy is dependent to independent before you can be interdependent. Let's close that gap. Let's let's get those losses to break even. So you're not going cap in hand looking for a handout, because when you do that, your value going forward will be sub-optimized and, and it will be a detriment to the rural community. It'll be a detriment to the entire relationship because it won't be mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Rachel, I can tell you the story. Duke came to me and he said, hey, uh, I found this group, uh, Stradwater Group, and I, I think maybe you met Duke at a conference. I'm not sure how the first connection occurred. Uh, Eric, you can tell that story, but um, Duke had shared with me, and I was nervous because honestly, I I started googling Stroudwater because Duke also brought to me a group. Uh, I won't give their name, but they're strictly M and A's, mm. and what they do is they they sell every reason why you have to merge. And I was really worried right. because at the time we were you know, things weren't looking the best, and I thought, oh man, is he bringing these city slickers in to talk to us about how awesome it's going to be to sell your hospital and everybody wins and it was totally different. And that's why I really wanted Eric on the program today, because their approach is, no, you can be independent, you know, and yet the, you may end up selling 10 years, but at least your valuation is going to be much higher. Right. You're going to have, you know, you're going to close your losses. Uh, you're going to have good teamwork. And I can tell you firsthand what Stroudwater has done for us is they they bridged a huge gap for us because our clinics were losing Mm-hmm. significant amounts of money. We were bleeding cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had to shore that up. We weren't taking advantage of programs we should have taken advantage of. And so we were able to do that. And we've closed that gap. So, mm-hmm. you know, Eric, hats off to you. I think you, among anybody in the industry, knows the critical nature of why hospitals have to remain independent today in America. And so I want to thank you for your involvement. I, I, I'd like to think that um, in time, you know, we're in the middle of a payment system transforming from this episodic sick care payment world of fee for service to more of a population where payment is going to be tied to caring for the entire population. 
And and I do I do believe JJ that in, over time that there will be a need to come together as larger systems one to diversify insurance risk as in, as large health systems take on insurance, um, but but also to start to think about how to, to to take out big chunks of fixed costs which frankly are often in the big yeah. cities and not in rural America, and and so as this but but I think the relationships that are going to be in the in that future world are going to be built on this mutual interest in contractual alignment, functional alignment, and governance alignment, and not necessarily, quote, selling to the highest bidder. Um, and mm-hmm. I, and, and I, in those, I think that there's a true partnership that can, that, 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 that evolves, um, um, again, to the mutual interests of the system, the community, who now we're interested in the caring for improving the population's health, and maintaining access to that high quality sick care that you you all have in Hillsdale. That's right. Mm-hmm. Excellent perspective. Well, and I think in my most cynical perspective <laughs> on on this, um, you know, it, it we've seen situations where the acquisition of rural hospitals feels very predatory. It's very much a you got to sell, you got to sell, mm-hmm. you got to sell, and the CEOs dig their heels in. But eventually, they get tired of fighting, and the closer they get to retirement. The the more these you know groups are saying, well, we got a big, nice, big golden parachute for you. What what do you say? You're almost done. Just come on over, right? And it doesn't you know always really work out well for the community when that happens. Um, and to your point, it's important for the rural hospitals to become healthy, sustainable, and stable organizations because in that case, if you know uh, that type of relationship is on the table in the future, you're bringing something to the table as the rural hospital. And it's not just like you said, cap in hand of like, oh, please rescue us. And then you kind of lose all you you, you lose all um, power in, in that relationship. And then your community can lose in the end when you see the practices that are all about, you know, cost cutting and sending it back to the mothership. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with that in mind, um, what would you say are some of the unique attributes that rural hospitals have that could benefit potential partners and bring value to a relationship that doesn't have to involve acquisition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, obviously there's 1,350 critical access hospitals. These are rural hospitals that get cost-based reimbursement. And there's opportunities around home office cost allocations as one. There are opportunities around rural health clinic designation. All critical access hospitals have three are three eligible for 340B. Um, you know, there's there's opportunities around um, kind of, uh, you know, we found this during the pandemic where the, the big city hospitals were filled up with very sick patients and they needed a relief valve, and which could often be found in the rural hospitals, often step down beds and kind of swing beds, if, 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 if I may. Mm-hmm. And um, so so that's today, right, in this fee-for-service world. Mm-hmm. but. In the future, mm-hmm. and I think this future is coming faster than many of us um, understand, is the ability to wholesale a population of, say, in Hillsdale, 30,000 people um, with, with a hospital, wholesale the lives of 30,000 people. You know, average per capita healthcare costs in the United States are $10,000 right now per person. You take a community of 30,000 in Hillsdale, um, so 300 million is the value of, of that community of Hillsdale that, that, that with its attribution of the patients to seeing the primary care base, having that patient attribution to Hillsdale Hospital that becomes part of a system, 
for the direct costs of Hillsdale, let's just say you're you know fifty to eighty million. Um, you know, there's significant upside in that relationship, and that's in the future. So, you know, I, I think rural hospitals have significant value now in the current payment system, and as the payment system evolves over the next ten years, that upside goes through the roof. Um, and so most people aren't thinking about that when they're when they're looking at rural hospitals today. It's around command and control, the referrals, uh, the sick care referrals. And um, mm-hmm. um, I like to think that that's relatively low value compared to the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Eric, I've uh, sat through many presentations over the years of uh, executives, CEOs, VPs that come into our board and share with the board uh, their vision for why they should acquire Hillsdale Hospital. A little bit about Hillsdale, as you know, we're the only hospital in our county. Uh, we service Hillsdale County, generally speaking, is is our primary area, you know, 47,000 residents. Uh, we do have some outreach in other communities, but ultimately that's our area. And so when CEOs from other systems come in, you know, we've had them say everything from uh, directly to us. It's not if, it's when we're going to buy your facility. And we've also had them come in, you know, and they and they arrive at our board meeting and they're talking about... Hillsborough Hospital. We're, we're Hillsdale, by the way. They talk right. about Hillsborough Hospital. They don't even they don't even know us. And then when one of the questions are posed, okay, we're so our days cash on hand. We're good. You know, we have over two hundred days cash on hand. Things are good here. Hillsdale's doing well. We're growing. We have you know great opportunities for growth. Uh, and so the first question we ask them is, you know, have, you've seen our facility. It's beautiful, right? You know, beautiful facility. Uh, and so we ask, uh, well, what? are you going to bring to Hillsdale? And I often describe it when I speak places that it's like the dog that chases the car. And when the the car stops, the dog's like, well, what the hell do I do? Right. You know, I mean, it's like, now what do I do? And I, and I equate that to what they, what they tell us in some of the responses. So the, the question you ask them is, all right, what are you going to bring to Hillsdale? And, and Eric, here's what I hear. And maybe you can give me a different perspective from you're in the market, but this is what I get. And I've got it from two of the leading CEOs and big systems who've presented to our board or to Duke and I uh, have said to me directly, well, you have access to capital. Okay. That, I don't need access to capital right now, right? right. I mean, I've got a beautiful facility. I've got good cash on hand. So what they're not talking about, Eric, is, you know, and I know I don't like this word, but synergies, uh, opportunities for that interdependence, opportunities for, you know, collaboration, where, you know, do they really want 70% Medicaid, Medicare? Do they, is that really what they're after? Or is there a relationship where I need an ENT? I need an oncologist. They're not thinking about that. They don't. Mm-hmm. They're never, when I when they say, what do you need, JJ? We had a CEO do this recently. She's no longer with the system. She said, what do you need? You know, and I said, okay, I need an oncologist a few, just twice a week. That's all I need. I can't afford, I need X, Y, and Z. That's what Hillsdale needs. Yeah, and right. you have, you know, you have laser and you have, you know, all these other things. That's the relationship is that, you know, we can legally engage in steerage of our patient population um, with a partnership and a relationship, but it's got to serve both parties. Right. And it's got to make sense. And and they can never get that right, Eric. It's always access to capital, access to capital. What, so what are your thoughts on that? I, I know it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a no, wild no. question. So years ago, my colleague and I, we were sitting in the conference room of a rural hospital that was owned by a big system down in the Mid-South area. And, and, and we pulled together what we called the affiliation commitment, uh, affiliation value curve, where we looked at 
we, we, we identified eight areas of opportunity for rural hospital gain being part of a system. And, and we often say, okay, so what are they? And there's, there's four on kind of the left side of this, what we call the commitment curve. And there's four opportunities on the right-hand side of this commitment curve because the commitment sur- curve is often where, um, or it's a commitment gap, excuse me, is where most of the affiliations don't go beyond. But on, on the left-hand side, they're more operational. Uh, you know, you have things like improving the rural hospital's image by flying a mother, you know, a larger hospital system. You have, um, you know, GPO and some shared savings is the second. The third is kind of one-off clinical integration, uh, use of our swing beds, um, you know, kind of cardiology referrals or something like one-off. And then the fourth on the, on the operational side is, is really access to that urban hospital's dedicated specialists like, you know, experts in HR or marketing or in-house legal, things that often rural hospitals can't afford. And so that's kind of the more operational of this affiliation value curve that we talk about. And you don't need a lot of commitment for those. And then you get beyond and there's the commitment gap. And then on the right-hand side, they become much more strategic with the value goes up. The first one, JJ, is one you just mentioned, access to capital. And um, you know, um, and the second one is IT integration. You know, you know Epic or Cerner. You know, something yeah. that we don't have in rural. Yeah. Another, the 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 third on the more strategic side of the commitment gap is is really access to specialists, as you just mentioned. And the fourth is really the front door of a uh, combined enterprise position for population health. It's in, in the future that would going to have the highest value. Now, interestingly enough. For every value that that one of those value nodes that rural hospitals can benefit, there's a mirror image value to the urban, the bigger system. And often we don't talk about those. But coming together, there's benefit to the rural hospital around those eight nodes. And then there's also value to the urban hospital. I'll give you an example. For example, if the urban hospital wants to have provide access to capital to an example that you mentioned, Essentially, they take their money out of the stock market where it's a passive investor. And if they know anything about rural hospital operations, they should be able to double their money uh, investing in a rural hospital um, if they know what they're doing. And so it become, you go from a mm-hmm. passive investment to a more active investment. I'll take that anytime. <laughs> Give me a rural hospital and, yeah. and we'll, we'll make it do really well. So every single one of those eight nodes of value creation of the rural has a mirror image value creation to the urban. But in, again, in, in, in the short run, it's, you know, one thing that's often missed by the urban hospitals is the contribution margin from the incremental referrals. You mentioned that as well. And those incremental referrals, mm-hmm. you know, in 80% of a urban hospital's costs are fixed or step fixed, any incremental volume that they get from Hillsdale or some other rural community drops 80 cents to the bottom line. And, and, and so often people, I, I was in a conversation oh, six months ago with a big system in the Mid-South, and, and uh, we were talking about the incremental volumes from this rural hospital. And, and they said, well, the contribution margin is 7%. And I said, I disagree. It's 80%. And, and so we pulled the whole team of finance people together in a room. And at the end, the, the director of finance pretty much said, Eric, spot on. He's exactly right. <laughs> The contribution wow. margin from incremental services wow. is really 80 cents on the dollar because it's not like we have to change our staffing model. It's not like we have to change our yeah. facilities to meet the incremental volume of this rural hospital. And so, um, you know, it's often, you know, so I laid out the four, the eight opportunities for value creation of the rural. 
But in, in the current fee-for-service world, the real value is those incremental furls, especially if we can get them through a true partnership. So, you know, Eric, um, one, and, and this may not be your wheelhouse, and, and, and we'll accept that, you know, because obviously your background's finance and operations, but let's talk a little bit about some of the, the mergers, acquisitions, and or some of the work you've done with rural hospitals as it relates to the quality of care. Because truly, I mean, you know, you're driving finance and, you know, one of the things that there's a misnomer and maybe you'll correct me, but there's a misnomer out there that because you're small, you don't have good quality. You know, can you talk to us a little bit about that uh, analogy? Because you often hear that, right? We're going to go to X hospital because they're in the metropolitan area or whatever (laughs) it is. Can can you share a little bit about your experiences? Because you work with rural, but you also work with big. Yeah, you're right. Um, and, you know, I, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, a friend of mine runs, a, you know, since the, I've been friends since 2004 with this gentleman who runs a critical access hospital in Western Massachusetts. Uh, they're operating out of a, the, the, the main facility was built in 1928 as an old TV hospital on top of a hill. Hmm. They have the wow. highest quality scores in the state of Massachusetts. It's a place where doctors want to practice. It's a place where the community wants to come. They pull from the big cities around them. And um, it's, wow. it's just just really special. Um, the hospital yeah. I was just at last week down in, in, in North Carolina, very similar case where its quality scores were the best of anybody we compared them to in a 100-mile radius. Now, those are quality mm-hmm. scores, and we're still relatively in this game of quality measurement and, until we really figure out outcomes measures Mm -hmm. to measure quality. Mm -hmm. We we still got some work to do there, but still in the game of quality measurement, you've got these rural hospitals that can move on a dime and implement, um, you know, kind of quality programs that have significant benefits to the rural hospitals. Yeah. And and I would think that that's a a real unique position that, that you would think that the big systems would see that a rural hospital could bring to them is, you know, some of the best practices. We could send some of our managers down there to learn. You know, I think when you start talking about the value proposition, to me, that makes much more sense in my mind. And, it's, and truly, it's how it's when you catch the car. I'm, I'm smiling because as I'm thinking about what we just talked about, it's, it's often the big cities can't accept the fact that rural could actually be doing something better than them. And it's, it's right. You know, right. You know, right. Thou shalt do as we do. Um, and, and if your quality yeah. scores are better than ours, we won't talk about that. <laughs> Cause nope. that's right? true. That's yeah. very true. And, and it's the city centric um, mindset that, that really has to yeah. go away. I just, I just don't know how to get it to go away. Huh? You know, comes down I know. to I know. The, big, the big bucks that are getting, for whatever reason, it's it, it, it's it's tough to get beyond that city centric. It uh, is because you're rural; you can't be really as strong as us. I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, I think there's you know a, an opportunity that maybe is not being considered in terms of what can you do at a rural hospital that you can't do in a big system, and let's leverage that, right? I mean, there are benefits and attributes to 
each, but they're not necessarily the same. And so when you take a rural hospital and try to say, well, it should be, if it's not doing what the bigs and what the systems are doing, then it's not doing well. But that's not really taking into account what is that hospital uniquely good at? How is that community positioned in a way to support that hospital? What are the needs of that community that that hospital is serving? And also we know, you know, there's a big disadvantage sometimes with even trying to compare quality scores because a lot of the ways that quality is rated, especially in things that are publicly reported and different ranking systems, they're designed for large hospitals. Those quality systems and analyses are not designed to be able to appropriately review and score and or rank, you know, smaller rural hospitals that don't have the same volume in certain things, right? So it may be that, oh, well, this hospital is not safe if they don't do this number of this procedure every year. Well, how about the fact that our, you know, surgeons do a little bit of everything, and mm-hmm. have become really good at that, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't have to be, well, if you don't have, you know, this consistency, then you're inherently unsafe. Um, so, you know, with that said, I think, um, can you talk to us just a little bit about what is the th- those um, benefits on either side of the commitment gap? How, are, how can some of those be achieved without the process of a full-on acquisition? How can some of those be achieved in... When I use the term partner, I guess I think of working together, but still as your own entities and not yeah. a merger yeah. or an acquisition situation. So yeah. where's the, yeah, where's the kind of opportunity there to have some of those benefits without having, without a local community having to give up governance of its hospital and its healthcare? Boy, that's, you ask, that's, that's another really, that's a good question. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to start the answer to that by saying that I, I, I truly believe that the affiliations of today built for a fee-for-service payment system are going to evolve to fit the, to fit the me- needs of a more sophisticated population-based payment in the future. And the relationships mm-hmm. are, are likely to move from this command and control top-down that we're seeing now to much more of this, this mutual partnership. I, I'd like to think that. I, I think on the left-hand side of that commitment gap, I think that you can have very loose relationships. Um, I think it can be mm-hmm. pretty open. There's commitments to work together, those types of things. As we move to the right, as we move across that commitment gap, you know, the access to capital, the IT integration, the access to specialists full on, and then fully this positioning for population health as an integrated system. That, that to me is, is more positioning for that future world in which there may have to be tighter linkages. There's not many mm-hmm. urban hospitals that I'm aware of that will literally, you know, kind of cut you a check for $50 million to build a new hospital unless you're part of that system. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, I, but I do think, you know, to some degree what that does, though, it gives us time that on the left-hand side of that commitment gap, you know, not having to be having those interdependent relationships to learn how to work together to determine if it's the right right fit or not for an organization. It's a tough question, wow. right? It you know it is a tough question, but uh, this is what you do, and and this is why you have made hospitals like Hillsdale successful. And I want to talk a little bit about the process for Stroudwater, if I could. So you know your involvement at our hospital truly, I, I look at it as a defining moment 
in my career in the history of this hospital. And I, and I don't say that lightly. Truly is. I mean, you helped us identify where there were significant gaps and opportunities to recover some money uh, and really look at how do we strengthen our revenue stream and how do we process our physicians, all those things. But could you talk to our listeners out there across the country, our rural hospitals, and they're listening right now, and some of them are hurting. We heard from Scott Becker who said, how many hospitals are at risk closing? Um, I think 392 are at risk, are at either high or immediate risk of closure. So higher, just right under 400 hospitals in America right now in the next year are at risk of closing. So if they're listening to this podcast today and they're thinking to themselves, well, what is that? What is an engagement like Stroudwater? What does that look like? Can you can you explain the process in terms of, you know, because you, you basically yeah. do an autopsy yeah. and I shouldn't call it an autopsy because, yeah. we're you know, not dead. Yeah. But could you explain the process? Well, it's it, I, I think there's a couple fundamental pieces to the thinking around the process before the process itself. The first is that I, I like to think that that we're not there to fish. We're there to teach you how to fish. We're not, we're not there just to hand out fish. And so, right. um, you know, whatever we can do to get you more aware of how we think and then walk away and let you run with it is going to be best. Number, number mm-hmm. two is that um, um, our thinking is that most, if most rural hospitals could do better, it's an abundance mindset of there is you know, probably 65% of the total dollar spend for a rural people is not being in, is not in that rural hospital. It's, it's going to the big cities. And, and, and so the opportunity here is that if we could, you know, recapture five percentage points more of what's going down the street, that's a 15% increase in volume. And boy, that floats a lot of boats within a rural hospital. Again, back to that 80% contribution margin on incremental volume. And so, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and so most of the time, if there's a way to increase the performance of a rural hospital, it's figuring out how to provide more services to the community or keep services local that are going out of town or get paid better. Because so often there are so many nuances of payment that if we could figure out, you know, for example, the 340B and you guys having access to that, the rural health clinics, um, you know, figuring out a way to get paid better, um, it goes a long way. The, the third mm-hmm. opportunity for improvement is around expense reduction. And, and frankly, I would say in all my years of travel, I've probably been to 300 rural hospitals across the United States in 25 years. I think it's been about five times where we've ever recommended reducing staff. Yeah. Most, yeah. most of the time, if you want to become more efficient, you figure out how to capture 5% percentage more of your volume. And so, so, so with that as thinking, the process that we did with you all is, JJ, I know you sent us a bunch of data before we got mm-hmm. on site. We were there mm-hmm. for two days. It was myself and two colleagues for two days yep. uh, doing an, a mile-wide inch look into the clinical operations, the clinic operations, the revenue cycle, the, you know, you know, the Medicare cost reports, looking at all of this, the ancillary departments, um, and, and again, with that mindset of abundance, volume growth, payment better, and and then and then you know several weeks later, pulling together a report, coming and presenting that report to your management team, having them agree to the top ten recommendations that will change the course of your organization, having you guys develop the action plans and implement, and we're out of dodge. We go away. We're yeah. back in Portland, Maine, where I live. Here, it's not a big city. Yeah. I'm not a big city slicker, but. <laughs> but um, that was that was the process, and um, again, it was really sharing with 
I think in the end, it was sharing with you and Duke that abundance mindset of growth versus what you've been told and has been beat into so many hospitals around. If there's an opportunity, it's Mm got to be cutting expenses because you can feel that immediately. Growth takes time. You can't feel it immediately, but it's sustainable and everlasting. And, um, and so, yeah, the, the lots of words yeah. to explain an approach, but it was, you know, again, it was, it was, we were only on site for, I think two and a half days, um, with three consultants. And then yeah. came, I came back for the follow-up meeting one day action planning with your team. But I, I, I interesting comment is that yeah. I do remember, um, we had, uh, planned, we had, you're, we had about 25 people of your senior leaders all in, um, the action planning where I was presenting yeah. the report. And, and we got through the report and then what we were going to do is most of the managers were going to leave and leave it just to the senior management team to develop the action plan. And I remember you and Duke pulled me into your office and I thought I was in trouble. I said, Oh no, what I do now? And, and uh, Duke said, you know what? Everyone's going to stay the entire day. Clear everyone's calendars. This is more important than anything yeah. we could do. And it was, a, it yeah. was a great moment in my career because often you you, you don't hear that and it was to your credit you and uh, Duke's credit that you did that because it engaged your entire team in the process and it created something very special in your organization yeah it was a it was a memorable time it truly was and while you may have only been here a few days you know your influence has spanned years uh, and the work that you did for us. So, you know I'm very I'm just very thankful for your contribution to Hillsdale and the work that you're doing. You know that you did at Hillsdale. You're doing every day. You know you're helping rural hospitals identify gaps and coverage up to you know revenue sources that they had not tapped into. And I think that is so so important uh, in the work that you do. So you know Eric, obviously your your work is uh, moving. You know the target in a lot of areas and it did for Hillsdale of what do we need to look at and my very first my very first meeting as the president and CEO of the hospital I took my leadership team through a journey and the journey was we cannot cut our way to success number 1 number 2 you have to have a growth mindset and and I took them through the principles of a growth mindset. What does that look like? And and now the CFOs of the world are going to be like, oh no, 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 we can't wait five, you know, three, six months. You can't, you can't, you can't spend. You can't get a, you know, you got debt covenants and you can't do that. But as I shared with my senior leadership team, with my CFO there, and I think we have the best CFO that I've ever worked with. Uh, he gets it. He truly does. Mm-hmm. He is. He's not holding the money back. He understands the critical importance of the growth and and putting the growth strategy together. And Rachel, you can talk about it. But mm-hmm. you know, we could have continued to cut and cut our way would never be successful. Or we have a growth mindset where we look at new and innovative things. And for example, Eric, you know, bringing a pain clinic here with with CRNA model, bringing a hyperbaric chamber here, two of them with, you know, a wound care program, bringing, you know, new services like neurosurgery, buying a work health, you know, outfit, you know, we're, we we purchase work health system in another county um, and, and truly integrating for that full continuum of care so that we can be dependent upon Hillsdale. And, and the number one threat to rural hospitals is when your patients have to travel to the big systems, those big systems absorb your patient. You don't get them back anymore. You don't get them back for primary care. You don't get them back for uh, surgeries. You don't get back for MRIs because they see the value in population health. They're gonna, they want that population just like you do. And so it was our biggest threat. But what I have challenged my team with is 
is we can achieve it. And some of them look at me like a goat looks at a fresh new, you know, fence. Like there ain't no way I'm going through there, you know, no way. And we do it and we achieve things, you know, bringing Infusion Center back to the things that we're doing. We have PET scans starting in a few months. All of these things, they fold up, but, but we can't stop. You know, and the minute we stop and think, oh, we've reached it, it we're, we fail, we lose. And I think, you know, you've seen what our team's been able to pull off. Yeah, well, and I have to say, um, Eric, as a hats off to you. Uh, I have So I've been at Hillsdale Hospital for just over three years. I think my anniversary was probably last week. It was. Um, but, you know, and I've worked in other organizations in my life, some healthcare, some not. And um, I was at a point in my career where I was not looking for a job. I was looking for a team and for a vision and a mission that I could be a part of. Um, And I saw that in Hillsdale Hospital. The first year I worked here, I commuted an hour and a half each way. Yeah. I've also I the I've had jobs before where I commuted 15 minutes yeah. each way and I wouldn't trade that for this because when you're working with a team that has an abundance mindset um it makes a huge difference in the quality of life mm-hmm. for your work. I call it work-life integration. I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe it's <laughs> exactly. healthy integration. It's a good idea. You know? Good point. Um, good point. But work-life balance is a myth that we've all been chasing. But um, yeah. it just has to be, you know, a healthy integration yeah. these days. That's how that's how our world functions. It's but true. I don't think I would have been interested in this position if I didn't see that from JJ and from other members of the team in the interview process. Um, and it sounds like you, you know, played a role in, in introducing and helping to really foster yeah. that mindset. And I have seen it, JJ, with the with the growth strategy and the work that you've done. And the way I kind of describe it is we don't have to just believe that good enough is good enough or that we're not capable oh. of anything better. Yeah. And to your point, that's been hammered in and hammered in and hammered in to rural hospitals and their leadership and, you know, their teams. But that's really a big part of the the goal of this podcast is to show that that doesn't have to be the case. And rural health can be excellent. And in many cases it is, but people just aren't aware of it. Mm-hmm. Or there's that, um, you know, issue of a prophet has no honor in his hometown, right? Yeah, where it's true. where there's a little bit of not realizing what you have. And even recently, we've had several um, that have come through. Some of them have been Google reviews. Some of them have been a you know a two page letter that we've received from patients from out of the community who received care with us while they were here visiting, and were just gobsmacked by the level of care that we provided, yeah. and were so impressed compared to what they've received in their large communities. And I would guarantee that that's the case in other rural communities Absolutely. and rural hospitals across the country. Our opportunity here, I think, is to to spread that message and to help other communities to see that and to take on that opportunity for themselves and to believe in themselves as an organization. She still drives an hour to get here. I do. I do still drive an hour each way. I moved 30 minutes closer, but <laughs> it's commitment. Oh my goodness. It is. I just want to share with you. I have this, uh, this is um, page 219 of these, you know, 40-year-old book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it's about the abundance mentality, um, compare and contrast to the scarcity mentality. Uh, the zero-sum game of, um, where the, the, the scarcity-minded person, there, there's a world of a pie, of a pie of success. And Rachel, if you're successful, you just took from my pie. So if I'm scarcity, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surround – first, I'm going to surround myself with people that are not you. I'm going to withhold information, um, you know, take credit for work that you've done. 
where an abundance person 180 degrees is is saying when you're successful rachel the pie just grew for everybody right in my in my travels around the country i would say between five and ten percent of rural leaders are truly abundance-based and probably closer to five percent than ten percent wow and those that are those that are truly, and again, it's, I could read this to you in six paragraphs, but those that truly are the performance of their hospitals. Last week I was at one where the leader was absolute abundance. She came in as CEO in 2019 when the hospital had lost, God, what did they lose? Like, like, like 20%. And um, wow. they're, they're, they're now making uh, over, over 10% operating margin in three years during the My pandemic goodness. and, and fundamental that's incredible I could, I could point i could point to uh, a dozen of these ceos and every single one of them they are their hospitals are positive operating margins significant they've got engaged high quality scores it's it's the secret sauce in and the reason why is it, it gets this flywheel spinning and people like you rachel join the team because of that you see yeah. that abundance the guy sitting next to you is one of those five percenters. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, thank you, Eric. And, you know, we could talk for hours. Uh, Eric and I uh, have actually done that. I mean, uh, <laughs> after after an event, uh, uh, having great dialogue and conversation. Uh, and so, you know, we could, with this interview, Rachel, unfortunately could go on for hours. But, you know, as we wrap it up, I, I and I rarely do this on our podcast, but, you know, if you're out right now and you're listening to our podcast and you're an executive of a small hospital who's struggling, you know, I want to put a plug in here mm-hmm. for Stroudwater Associates, a phenomenal group of leaders who have been themselves either CFOs, CEOs, leaders in healthcare. You know, these these are the most talented among all the consultants I've ever worked with. And the good news about them is that when they say they're done with you, they're done. In other words, they're not going to drag on the engagement with 16 other, you know, memorandums of understanding and here sign the statement of work. Uh, they truly consult until the job's done and then they let you go. And, mm-hmm. and that's a beautiful relationship. They never leave you if you want support. And I just want to encourage our listeners, if you're out today and you're listening and you're really struggling and you as a CEO, maybe you're in the C-suite and you're thinking, how are we going to pull this off? You know, and I can tell you one way is is you have to invest in a, in a group. Uh, like the Stroudwater Group, that can come in and they can show you where the deficits are, uh, and and the opportunities for you to enhance your revenue. So, Eric, I know our time is gone today. I want to thank you for your contributions and your conversation today. It's been very meaningful. So, thanks for joining us on Rural Health Rising. Thank, thank you. Now, before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So, Eric, we want to know what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? You've been a lot of places. So what is it? <laughs> oh, I'm just thinking of um, uh, me coming in and making a difference in Hillsdale. Um, if anybody knows me, I, I lean left and Hillsdale <laughs> is uh, has tipped over right. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> for for them to accept me um, <laughs> has been a very uh, honorable uh, experience. We just uh, at one point JJ wrote something about um, oh gosh what was it? You said I was afraid like 
like a Democrat at a Republican fundraiser or something. <laughs> I did say that. You, you, said, did. you said something to me anyway. But, but, you were optimistically uh, guarded when you when you came in. Uh, but uh, lots of fun you know, memories. You know, I, I will say, you know, I, I will. I'll, I'll give you a real one. Um, um, back in 1999, I joined Stroudwater two years earlier. Um, there was a critical access hospital. I didn't know what a critical access hospital was. Um, it was losing a half a million dollars. And the mothership said, we're going to close it if you can't figure it out. And so the, mm. the, the founder of Stroudwater at the time said, Eric, go on over there and see if you can figure out what's going on. And, and I remember the CEO sitting down with him and he was, all of his entire energy was putting around increasing his inpatient census from, from three to four. And he was going to benefit and make all this money. And, and the problem, I sat down and I put together a spreadsheet to show him if he increased his census from three to four, that, that, that his bottom line would only change by like $50,000 rather than 700,000. Mm. And the look on his face, I remember to this day was so startling. And, and, and at that point, he turned his entire focus around growing outpatient services and physician practice services. Within a year, the bottom line of this little critical access hospital was greater than the mothership. Um, and it was a great, and, 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 uh, and actually it was that story that I told back in 2000 that, that put me on the speaker circuit. And I told that story over and over again in, in national organizations of state office of rural health meetings. And, and it really, you know, kind of got the, the wheel going here, the flywheel going, uh, for working yeah. with rural. But it was very rewarding just to see that, you know, just with a little, you know, Excel spreadsheet and, and, and the CEO got it and how passionate yeah. he was to fix it. And when he did, I've, I've driven by that hospital. I've stopped in that hospital over the years, driving over to New York. And um, it's you wouldn't recognize it. It's beautiful. It's not as nice as Hillsdale, uh, but it's beautiful. It's all been renovated, <laughs> almost nearly completely replaced. But it was a great story. Well, that's uh, the fruit of your labor. So, uh, Eric, yeah. thanks again for joining us today. We greatly appreciate your time and uh, truly thank you. Thanks, guys. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Eric Schell, chairman of the board and rural practice leader at Stroudwater Associates. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.